In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. This morning I'd like to begin by telling you the story of Ivy Smith. Ivy grew up in southern England as the seventh of 14 children. It's a large family. <laughs> she grew up into a Methodist household, but um, being in England, she eventually found her way over into this tradition of Anglicanism, which is predominant in that part of the world. But it wasn't until she had turned over 100, that's right, that someone asked her why she never received communion. She was actually visiting a neighboring parish that was not her own, and somehow in the course of conversation after worship, that topic came up. And she simply replied, well, I've never been baptized nor confirmed. The individual talking to her, thankfully, must have been formed well enough to know what to say next and said to her, well, would you like to be baptized? And her first knee-jerk response, she said, was, at my age? But then, I'm sure, after letting that settle and perhaps being reassured, there is no age requirement for baptism, um, she quickly embraced the idea. As soon as the word went out, um, it was the oldest baptism on record for that diocese and perhaps the whole of the Church of England. And so they held her baptism fittingly in the cathedral with the bishop as the one who performed that. Uh, when she was kind of interviewed by the local paper thereafter and asked what it meant, she said, I finally now get to partake of what I have watched for so many years in communion. <laughs> it's a rather interesting story, is it not? Mm -hmm. uh, heartwarming, a little peculiar at times as well, right? Um, but it, it kind of begs the question, why? Why, after all these years, um, did she not participate in what God was doing? Well, we don't know Ivy's answer, short of asking her, but I'd like for us to ask ourselves that question this morning. Um, what prevents us from participating in what God is doing? What prevents us from participating in what God is doing in you? I'd like for us to sit with that question this morning. In light of our reading from Matthew 3, um, where we see Jesus' own baptism, it's the theme for this day as we begin this season of epiphany, this revelation of what God is doing to the world in Christ Jesus, and we sit with this question of, of what does that have to do with me? What um, do I do with this? So let's sit with that and ask ourselves that question, ruminate on that a bit this morning um, as we look at this reading in Matthew 3. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me actually to verse 10. If you don't, I'm going to read it to you because I'd like to begin a little further up from where the action begins in verse 13 this morning. In verse 10, um, recall this is John the Baptist preparing the way for Jesus uh, he is encountering, really, all of Israel that's coming out to him. The Pharisees and the Sadducees um, are, are trying to understand and ascertain what John is doing. And John, quoting the prophets in verse 10, says, Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. John's got a pretty clear understanding of what the Messiah will bring. 
not unlike the wind that would blow away the chaff from the weightier wheat, not unlike the, the uh, one who would reap the harvest and separate um, that which is good from that which is not. Um, John is saying when the Messiah comes, he's going to set all things right. So be ready. Repent. Be prepared. And he will um, purify you even in your repentance, even in light of that, um, to make you more pure. John's, John's ready. He thinks that when this Messiah steps onto the scene, he's going to bring these things like that. Imagine the shock with that backdrop where we pick up in verse 13, as Jesus came from the Galilee to Jordan to John to be baptized by him. Baptized by him? Humbly Jesus comes, not just humbly born, but humbly Jesus comes to John asking John for baptism. Talk about a paradigm shift. Where's the agenda? Where's the winnowing? Where's the axe laid to the root of the tree? Where's everything that John's ready for to happen when Jesus steps onto the scene and asks Jesus, Jesus asked him to baptize him. And that's why John's response, notingly um, captured by Matthew, John would have prevented him, saying, it's I who need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? And Jesus' response, let it be so for now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. There's a hinging point for us in a moment. But let's sit with this question a bit, and let's look at the first part of it. What prevents us from participating in the purposes of God and God's purposes for you? Let's think about that word prevents. What is it that prevents us? Maybe, like John, we have some sort of an expectation of Jesus that doesn't match reality. Um, maybe we are fearful of what that will entail. Maybe um, we've never really fully captured this idea of God's grace and love towards us. Um, if we're at that point, truly the, the hope and the prayer this morning for you is that when we get to this renewal of baptismal vows, if you choose to embrace those with your lips, it'll move your feet to have a conversation so you can begin to pattern that with your life. But for most of you, I'm going to venture a guess. I think it's not a lack of desire. I don't think we embrace those words of our baptismal vows with our fingers crossed. Um, we don't really mean it. But there's some sort of a disconnect between what we say and what we do. So what prevents us, we might say, well, I just have so much going on. I have this, I have that. Um, we could come up with all the reasons that we're prevented. What we're pointing to is that we've been formed and the habits of the world. We may not think about it, but the world around us, the culture around us, forms us. We form habits. We think about it. Some of those habits are benign. We get up, we do certain things, right? Some of them are not, um, and some we may not even realize the impact they have. I mean, for all the expediency of technology, it forms the way that we behave with others in expediency. Um, uh, when we think about uh, the, the course of our days and what patterns our lives, all the messaging, subliminal and not, um, about what is best for us, for me, um, really forms our, our, our end, our, our aim. And so what we do often, the habits we form, are aimed toward that, really kind of aimed in toward us, if you will. Maybe we aim towards nothing. And as the old adage goes, if we aim towards nothing, we'll hit nothing. Um, so whatever the point may be, I think that, that what prevents most Christians is not a lack of desire, but a lack of habit, a lack of pattern, a lack of behavior. And so what do we do? How do we close that gap? Well, if we turn back um, to verse 15, we discover it gets closed really quickly 
by John the Baptist. After moving from preventing, hearing that this must fulfill all righteousness, that triggers for John all the prophets, everything he's, he's understood, this is a step in that. John captures that and then he consents. Moves from preventing to consenting. And he's baptized by Jesus and immediately as he goes up from the water, the Spirit of God descends on him as in the form of a dove coming to rest upon him. In that moment, um, John captures a glimpse of what this participation will entail. He moves from being one who prevents, at least just momentarily, um, to one who participates in what God is doing. And for him, it's a quick transition because John already has the patterns and behaviors to walk closely with God. He's out in the wilderness. He seeks God daily. He's reading the law and the prophets. So for Jesus to say, I'm not doing what you think, but I'm doing this, which really is a fulfillment, John can quickly connect that because of the pattern that's already there. So for us, I think as we think about this, how do we participate in what God is doing? What we're really talking about is reforming new habits. And that's really what the Christian life is about. We, we have habits. Some of them we don't even realize we do, but they form our behavior. And so most of you know, yes, I probably should join that Bible study. Yeah, I really do need to make prayer more central in my life. It's not that you don't know to do it. It's that the connection is how do we do it? Well, we have to, we have to reform our habits. And that's not something we do by might and willpower. We partner with the Spirit of God living in us to reform our habits towards that end. And it, and it can happen in small ways. Sometimes we think, okay, to do everything Jesus taught and commanded, uh, take forgiveness, for instance, to forgive as Jesus forgave us. You know, that's a really big ask when I think of, insert name. Um, so rather than jumping to the, to the penultimate, could we start smaller and reform our habits by forgiving the people that cut us off in traffic on the expressway every day? Um, or letting go of minor offenses um, and forgiving them. Um, what are the small things? If, if our goal is to grow in generosity as God is generous to us, maybe we can't go zero to 10% in terms of our giving financially, but maybe we start somewhere. Maybe we begin with small steps. Maybe it's just one less coffee a week, whatever it may be. Whatever the, the character and, the, and really the virtues that we're seeking to, to have formed in us that we are aiming toward, that we identify, we must begin usually through small habits that reform our habits to what God is doing. One reformer put it this way, the church is like the gymnasium by which we are formed, uh, my paraphrasing, into the likeness of Jesus. Um, and he went on a little more pointedly further to say there's no sanctification apart from the church, which means we can't grow in holiness apart from the body of Christ. Why? Well, have you ever looked at people on January 31st after their gym memberships on January 1st? It's not that they didn't have an intention to do it. They even kind of joined in, but they never found the habit. They never really maybe joined the folks that were going to hold them accountable and spur them on. Um, and, and so in the same way, we need to not just bring ourselves in to be in a habit, but the goal of the body of Christ really is to hold one another accountable toward that growth as well. Your, your you know, running buddy, I don't have one of those. Maybe one day I will. Um, you know, that, that hey, are we going to get up this morning? I don't want to. That's fine. I'm going to be out in the cold before dawn at our usual spot. We, we've got to spur one another on. Um, we, we can't always just expect that habits will just form by osmosis. They take 
effort on our part, but they also help as we collectively participate in the lives of one another toward that end. Because ultimately, here's the, here's the end of the story, the last verse um, that we're aiming toward. As Jesus comes up out of the water, as the Spirit of God descends on him like a dove, as John sees this as a new beginning, just like when the dove went forth from the ark in Genesis, a new start, a new beginning, something is happening in Jesus at this point. Then this voice from heaven, this is one of the few Trinitarian references in Scripture, right? God the Holy Spirit physically manifest in a dove. God the Son, Jesus, out of the water. God the Father from heaven, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. All those laws, all the prophets, everything they've prepared for, Jesus is going to do, and our job is merely to imitate him. Now, imitate's a word we don't like. We think cheap and tawdry. Don't think Rolexes and fake Nikes on a street corner. Um, it's the way that we learn to do things. What we're learning to do is, is reform our habits to be conformed to the patterns of Christ. And that comes through imitation, and it comes through repetition, and it comes through practice just as it does for anything else. My girls learn piano, and, and it's with those 10 minutes a day that we, that we work on that that the habits begin to become more natural. But it's got to be in the repetition, the repetition, the repetition, right? So too with us in the formation of Christ in our lives. Because the end goal is ultimately where that question began, what prevents us from participating in whose purpose? God's purpose. That's the big shift, we wouldn't want to acknowledge this, but a lot of times we want God, because of our habits, to participate in our purposes. We seek him for guidance for ourselves. We, we seek for certain things, and those are not bad. The fact that we're, what should drive us to him. But at some point, the shift is made from seeking to surrender so that we might embrace more fully his purposes. That's the end of the Christian life, is that we desire his will be done on earth, not just as it pertains to our little corner of the kingdom. But we begin to ask, Lord, what does that mean more broadly for me to participate in your will being done on earth? How does that include me? Um, what do we move beyond in order to, to embrace that more fully? This is the question we're called to sit with. So this morning, as we move in just a moment into the renewal of our baptismal vows, it's my hope that as we embrace those words with our lips, we would sit with this question and take steps with our lives in the days, the weeks, and the year ahead so that we might grow um, beyond um, what the hang-up is, usually the habits that are there so that we can reform new habits to participate and that we may indeed grow more fully uh, to embrace His purposes. Those are here for you. Um, that's what the purpose of the church exists for. That's her, her, her telos, her end, her being is really to form the body of Christ more fully into the likeness of Jesus. So may God grant us grace to do that in the year ahead and give us the wisdom and the fortitude toward that end so that we, hopefully, at the end of the year might say there's a few less things that prevent us from participating in God's purposes. And perhaps we point to more ways that we are participating in God's purposes, even if they're incremental, so that we might show by God's grace that we are being more conformed into the likeness of the one that we love and we proclaim our faith in, namely Christ Jesus, our Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.